Happy 2022 to you. Welcome to church. I'm glad you've uh, chosen to spend this first Sunday of the year in the presence of the Lord. And it's especially uh, great to have the Saturday service folks here for uh, our combined service because it's an opportunity to consecrate all of us who serve in the church together. Um, let me get myself squared away and my technical stuff up <laughs> and running. Today is uh, Epiphany Sunday, and not because today is Epiphany. Epiphany is actually the 6th of January, so we're still really in the season of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas and on 5th of January, the 6th of January, begins the new uh, year in the church, a uh, new season in the church calendar, the season of Epiphany. But because we don't uh, have a service on Epiphany, we usually use the Sunday just before Epiphany to uh, commemorate that event. And in particular, Epiphany um, reminds us of the wise men or the magi or the kings who visited Jesus, which is why, you know, in, at Christmas you'll find that you, we never ever read the uh, uh, Matthew's account of Christmas because it's always reserved for Epiphany because it's a time in which we remember that, you know, God's plan for salvation was not just confined to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. But he had a much larger plan. And, you know, it's amazing to me because you read that text, uh, I'm not going to uh, reflect on it, but just some thoughts from Matthew's Gospel. Right? These are foreigners. They're not just foreigners. They're magi, believed to be something like astrologers or astronomers. It's, you know, the science and <laughs> superstition, the lines were not so clear in those days. And, and certainly of probably an, another religious faith. And yet they were the ones who saw the signs and understood something was happening. And they were the ones who came to seek Jesus. It's ironic that the people of God, the chief priests and the scribes and all the religious leaders, they knew where Christ was to be born. But they totally ignored it. <laughs> and they let that event pass them by. You know, and this is God's marvelous plan for salvation. I want to spend some time instead looking at the uh, epistle reading from Ephesians chapter 3 uh, to uh, understand what God's plan for salvation is, why the light of the world came into the world, why Jesus had come and what His plan is and what it means for us, especially as the church. Most of you know that Ephesians uh, was a... A circular letter written by Paul, not just to Ephesus, but you know the churches that he had planted. And one of the main themes of uh, the book of Ephesians is how God has called us to become a new community, a new society, to become the church. And Ephesians is really a letter about the church and who the church is and what the church should be. And I want to pick it up uh, uh, and, and explore three points. Firstly, mystery. Secondly, history. And thirdly, destiny. Uh, very simply, just three simple points I want to make, and hopefully I'll make it in a short amount of time, because we also have a prayer of consecration later, and we will have other things before we have the communion as well. But if you look at the passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, this word mystery pops up uh, multiple times. Verse 3, mystery. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 9, mystery. But this word mystery in the English language means something a little bit different than what the Bible means 
by mystery. You know, when we think of mystery, we think of uh, murder mystery, something to be solved, something to be discovered, something to work out for ourselves. But as a, a theological term, the Greek word mysterion actually means a, a hidden truth that is revealed to those whom God has chosen. Right? And that's uh, precisely what John Stott said in his uh, commentary on Ephesians. He says, The Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God, and so now belong openly to the whole church. So it's not something that is hidden and put away. It's actually an open secret, as it were. More simply, mysterion, which is the Greek word translated as mystery, is a truth hitherto hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. And so what is this mystery? Verse 6 tells us basically this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That God's plan for salvation was for everyone. Verse 9 tells us that He planned to bring light for everyone. That it was not meant to be confined to a particular race or particular people or particular corner of the earth. And His intention is that all, that none should perish, that all should come to salvation. In fact, you know, He, he, he uh, talked about it in much greater detail earlier in chapter 2. And I, I won't expound this passage, but I'll just read it for you. Paul says to the Ephesian church, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Gentiles and Jews, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The operation of the Trinity, you know, Jesus came that we might have peace. And this is uh, uh, peace that not only uh, peace with one another, but more importantly, peace with God access to Him, and it is by the Holy Spirit that this happens in each and every one of our lives. Those of us gathered here as Christians, you know, that's what we have. That's the privilege that we have. And, you know, the problem is that, you know, we sometimes stop short. You know, the Jewish people knew that the message that they had was not meant to be kept for themselves. I mean, the prophecy in Isaiah made it very clear, right? And Isaiah 60 points out to them that nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn, that they were to be the light of the nations, that they were to bring this good news to the nations. But somehow or other, you know, as human beings, <laughs> we like to keep our blessings to ourselves. And that is human tendency. But not only is there mystery, there's also history. And in uh, verses 7 through 9, uh, or from verses... Yeah, 7 through 9, it reads, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That there was a plan uh, being unfolded in this mystery that was revealed. That God has a plan. And this plan unfolds throughout history. As you look at history, you know, we should always remember that history is His story. That God is, is on the move and He is doing what he, uh, only He can do. You know, at the end, towards the end of the passage, you know, we are reminded that everything is happening according to His eternal purpose, purposes that He accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We stand on the cusp of a new year. We've gone through two difficult years. You know, last year I remember standing here and with great hope and saying, you know, I think we're going to come out of the pandemic this year of 2021 uh, because the, the vaccines have been released. Singapore has bought the vaccines and we had all our hopes, you know, uh, there. I started making plans. We were planning to go to Vietnam to do confirmation because we've held that confirmation uh, for our brothers and sisters in Vietnam, you know, because we, our bishop hasn't been able to travel there. And all kinds of things, all kinds of plans, all kinds of hopes and desires. <laughs> and here we sit on the cusp of a new year, and in all honesty, if we, we are uh, being frank about it, none of us really know what's up ahead. It's incredibly difficult to do a work plan, isn't it? In this third year of the pandemic, we, if anything we have learned as we enter into this third year of the pandemic, is that we need to hold our plans lightly. <laughs> you know, whatever we uh, plan to do, we need to be ready to, you know, shift accordingly and make alternative plans or, you know, be prepared to scramble because you don't know what uh, the future holds. And I remember when I was in school, um, I'm growing up, there was a hymn that they liked to sing, not just the beginning of year hymn, but there's one hymn, uh, at least in my time when I was in school, uh, and it's him that was entitled, God is working his purposes out. And it, it goes like this, uh, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time. i spare you. The time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And you know, this is the reality you know, although the mystery of God has been revealed to us, even though we are right in the midst of a historic time, but actually all the time we are in the midst of history, and we don't really know what is happening, you know, as, as I was praying at the beginning, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. That history is his story, that he is working his purposes out. That our trust is ultimately in him. It's not in medical science, it's not in good governments, although we are grateful for those things, they are gifts from God. It's not in, in you know, um, um, things working out because our plans are so good, but ultimately it's because we know the one who holds the future in his hands. But finally, that brings me to my uh, third point, and that's this issue of destiny. I want us to go right back again to verse 6 because, you know, 
it makes clear here what the destiny of the church is. It says here, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, what's often not uh, um, um, easily seen when we look at a translation of the text is, you know, sometimes the word play that uh, takes place. And there are three words in this verse which all begin with this prefix sin. Uh, not S-I-N, S-Y-N. In the Greek, it means um, um, together with. And I'll spare you uh, the three words, but basically they're translated as fellow heirs. The second word is translated as members of the same body. And the third word is translated as uh, partakers of the promise, right? Sharers of the promise. And, and, and these three words tell us that, you know, as the people of God who have been now gathered as the church, who are not born into uh, the Jewish heritage, but have now been enfolded into God's people, that we share the inheritance that God's people have, that we share as the body of Christ, and we share in the promises God has made to His people. That, you know, the, the message is this. Oftentimes, we preach a, a message of personal salvation, that you need to receive Jesus Christ, and that's absolutely true. Why, at times, we give an altar call, we ask people to raise their hands, sometimes they come, we ask them to come forward, but every time, you know, we encounter someone, we'll lead them through a sinner's prayer, because it is a personal decision. The most important personal decision, then, is ultimately the baptism. Because baptism is our, our, our proclamation. Do you know that the altar call was a very late <laughs> invention in the church? It was only in the uh, um, um, late 19th, early 20th century that churches started doing the altar call. Prior to that, the altar call was baptism. Baptism is where you make that declaration of your faith, where you proclaim that you are a Christian in that sense and you receive what God has already done in your life in, in regenerating you. But... It is more than just being saved from sin and death. We are saved into a new community as well. Salvation is not just cosmic fire insurance, okay? It is also uh, uh, being brought into a new family. And you know, that's one of the things I love. Uh, I'm entering now into my seventh year as your pastor. One of the things I love about Good Shepherd is how this is such a family church. You know, a church which um, not just families have grown up here, but it feels like a family. And, you know, family has good and it has bad. Because families also are wonderful, but they can also have their dysfunction. And I'm not, you know, blind to the fact that we're not perfect as a community. That there are warts, there are problems, there are, you know, the frictions that arise in the conflict. But by and large... You know, this is a, a very united community, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, and I uh, don't want to take that for granted. But, you know, when we think about the church as a whole, I'm well aware of the brokenness we have in church in general. Uh, one of the things I, I often come across, you know, people say, whether it's over Twitter or a bumper sticker or, you know, a throwaway line, they say, oh, I like Jesus. It's his people I can't stand <laughs> You know, and, and so many times, you know, the church is sometimes uh, uh, the worst advertisement for Christ. And that's a reality. I've been listening to a podcast uh, by Christianity Today entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. 
and it's a fascinating podcast because it's it's uh, tracking the the uh, very sudden rise of a huge mega church in Seattle. At one stage, one of the largest churches in America, you know, and his pastor was quite prominent. And his fall from grace is different because he didn't fall from grace because of you know money or sex, but abuse of power. You know, and, and, and it's, it's interesting because as you listen to it, you know, it's, it, you want to point the finger at them, but then you realize, you know, it's something all of us as pastors are, are susceptible to. All of us as pastors can be so easily sucked into and ways in which, you know, the church can be so dysfunctional as a family. And this is the reality that the church is really a hospital full of broken people. So we shouldn't be surprised that church communities can be just as broken or sometimes even more broken than uh, uh, non-Christian communities. But God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to work through this brokenness. You know, Paul himself pointed out this uh, in the ESV, it says the, the, the least of all the saints. In the NS, uh, NIV, it actually translated, I think more accurately, the, the, the word that is used there. It said, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. You know, Paul speaks about himself, and he's not speaking hyperbole. He's not false humility. He calls himself the chief of all sinners elsewhere, right? And, and it's because there was this painful awareness that he was a broken individual, that he wasn't perfect by any means, and yet God used him mightily. And the same is true of his people in the church, that God delights in using broken people for his purposes. You know, in in, uh, Ephesians uh, 3 verse 10, it continues that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does he mean? You know, the best way to understand it is to look also in, um, interpret scripture with scripture. That's what I've always been taught. First Peter tells us and helps us understand a little bit of what Paul meant by this. It says this in First Peter 1 verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Today's reading is an example. Isaiah 60 was a prophecy that was released 700 years before Christ was born. You know, in the uh, uh, inquiry of um, uh, Herod asking the chief priests and the scribes and the uh, uh, religious leaders, they again quoted Scripture. Because there was the prophecy long ago, the prophets knew that Christ was coming. But it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Talking about the church in Peter's day and by default us who live in this day. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That the church, the collective body of Christ, we reveal the mystery of God's plan of salvation to angels. 
to the celestial beings, to the principalities and powers that are out there. You know, by all rights, if you think about and if you track through history, the church should not exist. Because down through the ages, there have been conspiracies, there have been efforts to try and stamp the church out. Right? Right from the beginning, how uh, the Jewish people were so dead set against the, they persecuted Paul. Paul was in prison. And, you know, famously, uh, um, as he's writing this, he calls himself a prisoner at the beginning of the passage because he was, if you remember the story of Acts, he appealed to uh, Caesar. And so he was now uh, Caesar. At the time, it was Nero. He was a prisoner of Nero. And we know eventually Paul lost his life in that uh, tragic persecution. And um, there's that famous hymn which we've sung, The Church's One Foundation. There's one verse which talks about, you know, though... With a scornful wonder, the world sees her oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. The reality is they're not just enemies outside the church, they're enemies within. <laughs> and there's so many things that could have you know, caused the church to fall down, yet here we sit 2,000 years later, and the church is still existing. And you know, sometimes I know people, uh, they, they love to proclaim how, you know, the church is on the decline and you have to be careful. You know, I think it's overstated. <laughs> because if it were an entirely human enterprise, then yes, we're in trouble. But because God himself promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That we have a destiny to be fulfilled. That God is not finished with us yet. That it is a miracle we're still here, but you know, that God is working His purposes out through us, the church. I don't want to read the whole quote to you, but you know, John Stott uh, says it beautifully. He says that history is the theater, the world is the stage, the church members in every land are the actors. God Himself has written the play and He directs and produces it. Act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? <laughs> he asks. He says, they are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities, powers in the heavenly places. We are to think of them as spectators of the drama of salvation. Thus, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. <laughs> this is marvelous. You know, what we know and what we proclaim and what we do instructs them, lets them see God's great plan of salvation. So as I conclude, you know, we really see ultimately that, you know, this circle of divine communication that takes place in this passage. Firstly, there is a direct revelation to Paul. Paul hears the good news for himself and he's called then to be a messenger, a, 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 a proclaimer of God's uh, um, goodness, he, by verbal proclamation, Paul then, and his successor, Paul then proclaims it to the people of the world. Not just the Jewish people, but all people, you know, Jew and Gentile alike. But as that direct revelation came to Paul, Paul then proclaims it, and we continue to proclaim it. Ultimately, the church provides the visual presentation, you know, the, the fact that the church is so multicultural, I mean, I mean not our church in particular, but if you look around the world, right, the, the representation of the church is amazing. I've been involved in uh, a couple of organizations which have a worldwide reach, 
Movement Day, which is a, a city movement, trying to see gospel transformation in cities. Uh, and I participate monthly in calls, and there are people from all corners of the globe, South America, uh, Africa, Europe, North America, Asia, you know, in, in, in all kinds of places. I, I, we end up in prayer groups, and I, I end up praying with someone who barely speaks English sometimes, you know, but nonetheless, we all worship the same God. And it's such a testimony, not just to the world that's looking, but to the angelic spectators, that God's plan of salvation is at work. And that's why I believe in the church, faults and all. Not because it's a perfect organization, but because it is a faulty, broken community. But as you know, uh, uh, Paul said in, in uh, his second letter to the Corinthians that we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing glory of God is not held to ourselves, but it goes to Him. <laughs> that God accomplishes these great things through us, frail human individuals. And I want to conclude with this because we are in this consecration service. You know, the fact is this, that we all have a part to play. In Romans 12, Paul tells the Roman church that we are all members of one body and all of us are gifted in some way and that we are to use the gifts. But in particular, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he points out, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You know, he uses that metaphor, an eye is not supposed to act like a hand, and an ear, you know, has its own function, and all of these things are necessary and important, and they're part of the body. And, you know, in a moment, we're going to be praying for all those who serve in the church, and we're going to ask you to stand, we're going to list all the ministries, and I suspect and <laughs> we know that many of you will be standing. But there are some who still continue to hold back. And I want to say to you, you know, please find a place of ministry. It may be within the church, but it may be outside the organizational church, but, you know, in the plan of God's purposes in His kingdom. All of us need to find our part that we are called to play because there is a destiny that we have been called to to proclaim this good news in ways big and small. You may say, Pastor, how in the world can I do it? Who am I? You know, you repeat Moses' line, who am I to go and speak on your behalf? Paul ends this passage saying, it is because of Jesus Christ in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Who are we? We are children of the Most High God. That if He calls, He enables. If He calls, He provides. If He calls, as we obey, it can never go wrong. And I believe that's the Word of God for us today, but I believe it's the Word of God for us this year. And I will, in a you know, couple of weeks, begin to unpack that for us. That's what I believe God is calling us to. Next week, uh, I'll share it a little bit with the leaders as we gather on Saturday for our leaders' retreat here. But, you know, I will share it with you and the church as well. But I want to end by sharing with the prayer that I'm going to ask you to pray later. It's a prayer that came from St. Augustine. But I think it's a powerful prayer because it's really the heart of those of us who want to serve, the, the, the spirit in which we serve the Lord. It starts out by pointing out that, you know, ultimately it's God who animates us. Eternal God, who is the light of the minds that know you, 
the joy of the hearts that love you, the strength of the wills that serve you, that it is God who gives us you know, the understanding to be able to know God. It is God who provides us the hearts that will ultimately love Him. It's God who gives us the strength of our will to choose to serve Him. It's in that context then we will pray, grant us so to know you that we may truly love you and so to love you that we may fully serve you. Service for God has to flow from our love for God. We serve our neighbour because we love our neighbours as we love ourselves. And we only love our neighbours as we love ourselves because we love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. And it, it stems from that love that then we see service as perfect freedom because we are freed from that uh, you know, self-interest that sometimes so binds us. That, that uh, a divine self-forgetfulness is what we strive for where we are no longer worried what people think what others de- demand of us, that we serve with total and perfect freedom. And that's what Christian service is meant to be. And that's what I hope in this next year we will discover as we continue to serve Him together. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we prepare our hearts for this year of 2022. We are grateful to God for all that He has done for us. Despite the circumstances of this past two years, that our hope and our trust is in Him. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You, Lord, that You have called us and brought us to this place, not by accident, but by divine appointment. And we ask, Lord, that you would prepare us for this year ahead, for the ways in which you will speak to us, which you will call to us, which you will challenge us. Father, may we do it with a heart that is open to you to receive your great love, so that that love may overflow in our service to others and ultimately to you. Father, I pray that the light of your love will come and shine deep into each and every one of our hearts in this year of 2022 afresh. For those of us who have known you for a long time or those who barely know you or are discovering about you, Lord, may this be a breakthrough year for us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We ask and pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. All God's people say, Amen.